The Man Who Was Thursday, A Nightmare, by G.K. Chesterton. Episode 5, The Dance of Humanity. The next morning, the five of us bewildered but hilarious people took the boat for Dover. The poor old colonel might have had some cause to complain, having been first forced to fight for two factions that didn't exist, and then knocked down with an iron lantern. But he was a magnanimous old gentleman, and being much relieved that neither party had anything to do with dynamite, he saw us off at the pier with great geniality. The five of us had a hundred details to explain to each other about how the evening's events transpired. But above all, rose the central mountain of the matter that we could not explain. What did it all mean? If we were all harmless officers, what was Sunday? If he had not seized the world, what on earth had he been up to? If this is all a game, then who is he? He's definitely not innocent. Remember his face. Remember? I will never forget it. Well, I suppose we can find out soon, for tomorrow we have our next general meeting. You will excuse me for being well acquainted with my secretarial duties. I suppose you're right. But I must confess that I feel a bit afraid of asking Sunday who he really is. For what? Fear of death? No, for fear he might tell me. More Scots, anyone? That night, we all booked rooms at a hotel bordering Leicester Square, across from the fated restaurant where we were scheduled to meet for breakfast in the morning. My restless mind was not the least bit interested in sleep, so I found myself mulling over the day alone at the hotel bar, until I was interrupted in the most pleasant way possible. Is this seat taken? Mm. Or were you not planning on staying? I'm sorry. I... It's all right. I've forgiven you. It was never my intention to abandon you. Well, now I've found you. Yes, you have. My brother suggested I might find you here. You're like a vision sitting there. And you're wearing the same clothes as when we last met. Only because we never finished our conversation. Of course. Where were we? Tell me everything. I'm afraid I no longer know everything as I once did. This isn't over, then. I fear there is much more suffering to come. It started with a voice in a pitch-black room. Then it ended with a terrifying demon of a man who had an angelic face. <laughs> a face which I must confront in the morning. Well, first you must confront the face in front of you. Gabriel? Gabriel, you'll never believe who I ran into! You have impeccable timing. This is my comrade, Dr. Bull. I've seen him. He's here. Who? Not Sunday. Oh, no. No, not that bad. Hairy man. A man that used to be hairy man. Gogol. He's right here. What do you want with me? 
You've already expelled me as a spy. We were all spies. We're all spies! Uh, come, let's have a drink. Rosamond, we shall have to meet again when this is over. If that day ever comes. I wish you Godspeed, Gabriel. Thank you. You've got to come with us in the morning. It'll be a reunion not to be missed. The next morning, our battalion of the reunited six marched stoically toward the balcony in Leicester Square. This is more cheerful. We are six men going to ask one man what he means. I think it's more complicated than that. We are six persons going to ask one man what they mean. We saw at once the little balcony and a figure that looked too big for it. We who had come to vote him down crossed that square as if we were watched out of heaven by a hundred eyes. I still don't agree with this method. We should leave Gogol behind and begin diplomatically. Splendid idea. No, we've already settled that we throw this in his face when first we see him. Catch him off guard, otherwise he'll see right through us. He won't know what hit him. Why do you attack Sunday so rashly? What good could it bring? My reason is quite simple. I attack him rashly because I am afraid of him. The others followed me up the dark stair in silence, and we all came out simultaneously into the broad sunlight of the morning and the broad sunlight of Sunday's smile. Delightful. So pleased to see you all. What an exquisite day it is. Is the Tsar dead? No, sir. There has been no massacre. I bring you news of no such disgusting spectacles. Disgusting spectacles? You mean Dr. Bull's spectacles? <laughs> of course, we all have the right to our opinion. But really, to call them disgusting before the man himself... My glasses are black and evil, but I am not. Look at my face. I'll admit it's not the type of face that women swoon over. But who am I to argue with a tree of life? <laughs> we have no time for foolishness. Who are you? What are you? Do you know who and what we are? Are you an idiot playing the conspirator or a clever man playing the fool? Answer me! So eager to know everything. You want me to tell you what I am. What you are. What this table is. What this council is. And what the world is for all I know. Well, I will only unveil the answer to one mystery. If you want to know what you are, you are all a bunch of highly well-intentioned young jackasses. <laughs> and you, what are you? I. What am I? You want to know what I am, do you? Since the beginning of the world, all men have hunted me, like wolves and magicians, poets and lawgivers, all the churches and all the philosophers. But I have never yet been caught. The skies will fall before that day. I've given them all a good run for their money, and so too I will now! The monstrous man swung himself over the side of the balcony like some huge orangutan. Yet before he dropped, he pulled himself up again, thrusting his great chin over the edge of the balcony. 
There is one thing I will tell you about who I am. I am the man in the dark room who made you all policemen. With that, he fell from the balcony, bouncing on the stones below like a great ball of rubber, and went bounding off across the square. <laughs> oh, did you say that? Bravo. Good. He's hailed a cab after him. Abner, wait. I'll survive. Anyone else care to leap over the side? Quick. Can't let him escape. Taxi. Wait for me. Follow that cab. The fate of mankind depends on it. We'll be right behind you. Stop! Criminal! Look! Gogol has a car! I'm losing him, sir. Keep going! He's turning up there! At the highest ecstasy of speed, Sunday turned round on the splashboard where he stood, and sticking his great grinning head out of the cab, with white hair whistling in the wind, he made a horrible face at us, like some colossal urchin, then swung out his arm and tossed a ball of paper in my face. Dear God, what is he doing? He's jumped on that fire engine. After him. Gogol is still behind us. Oh, we can't very well lose a fire engine. What the devil has gotten into him? Look out! It's just a piece of paper. What does it say? Fly at once. The truth about your boxer shorts is known. Friend. I knew it! How is that possible? He's standing on top of the engine! He's taunting us! <laughs> there he goes! Stop right here! What happened to him? He climbed right over this wall here. And damned if I don't follow! Be careful! What do you think is behind this wall? His house? All the better if we find him. I hear strange noises, like devils laughing and sneezing. It could be his dogs barking. No dog on this earth barks like that. I'm going to have to jump. Well, if his house is hell, I'm going in. Come on. Why, you asses? It's the zoo! He's vanished! Come on, he can't have gone far. We passed a number of strange animals glaring at us from within their cages. They all suddenly seemed very queer to me, like pelicans, with their preposterous pendant throats. I don't know why the pelican is the symbol of charity, except that it takes a good deal of charity to admire a pelican. Then there's the hornbill, which is simply a huge yellow beak with a small bird tied on behind it. Nature was always making quite mysterious jokes. Sunday had said that we would understand him when we understood the stars. I doubt whether even the archangels understand the hornbill. This man must have seen something. Has he come this way? Has what? The elephant! An elephant has gone mad and run away with a poor old man on top of him! Was this man large with a great white beard? You know him. Rest assured, my friend, the elephant hasn't captured him. He's stolen the elephant. <laughs> we turned to see a huge grey elephant bounding across the park at an awful stride. On the back of the bellowing animal sat President Sunday, with all the placidity of a sultan, but goading the animal to a furious speed. Stop him! He'll be out of the gate! Stop a landslide! He is out of the gate! 
Great Lord! I never knew an elephant could go so fast. We'll never catch him. Back to the handsome cabs. We can follow the path of destruction until we find him. Long distances seemed to be shortened as we followed the elephant's path in our handsome cabs. Soon we were traveling the aristocratic streets of South Kensington, and we finally headed toward that part of the skyline where the enormous Wheel of Earl's Court stood up in the sky. The wheel grew larger and larger till it filled heaven like the wheel of stars. When we came to one of the gates of the Earl's Court exhibition, we were blocked by an enormous crowd, in the midst of which was an enormous elephant, heaving and shuddering as such shapeless creatures do. But the president had disappeared. Where's the old man? Uh, uh, I'm sorry, sir. You'll have to back away. Here is my card. Detective Gabriel Symes, Scotland Yard. Answer me, quickly. Hmm. Well, he ran off in the direction of the festival. What is this card? I've never seen anything like it before. It's a secret division. Hmm. He was a strange old man. Gave me this. Addressed to the Secretary of the Central Anarchist Council. Well, it's not one of you, is it? Devil, did you let him get away? The people normally ask you to hold their elephants for them. Look! Look! Over there! Look at what? In the sky! The hot air balloon! Devil's Sunday's gotten into it! That old fool! He's hijacked the captive balloon exhibit! Dear God, something fell on my hat! Another note! Your beauty has not left me indifferent. From Little Snowdrop. I'm not beaten yet. It must come down somewhere. Let's follow it. And so we followed. Soon we were out of the city, walking across green fields and breaking through blooming hedges. We could no longer make use of the handsome cabs because of the persistent refusal of the balloon to follow the roads and the still more persistent refusal of the cabmen to follow the balloon. Consequently, we six tireless though exasperated travellers broke through black thickets and ploughed through ploughed fields till each of us was turned into a figure too outrageous to be mistaken for a tramp. The green hills of Suri saw the final collapse and tragedy of my admirable light grey suit that I set out with from Saffron Park. My silk hat was broken over my nose by a swinging bough, my coattails were torn to the shoulder by arresting thorns, and the clay of England was splashed up to my collar. But I still carried onward, with a silent and furious determination, my eyes fixed on that floating ball of gas, which in the waning daylight seemed coloured like a sunset cloud. This is such a fantastic situation, and yet somehow quite beautiful. I wish the beastly gas bag would burst. <laughs> oh, I hope not. It might hurt him. Hurt him? Not as much as I'll hurt him, little snowdrop. Uh, somehow, I... I don't want to hurt him. What? Do you believe what he said about being the man in the dark room? All I know is that I always had a sympathy for old Sunday, even if he was wicked. Does it make sense that I liked him because he was so fat? No. I think it's because he's so fat and so light. Normally, we think of fat as heavy, but... Sunday is kind of like a balloon himself. He could leap into the sky like a grasshopper on a spring day. He sure has done that. You have no clue who Sunday is. What do you think, then? 
When I first saw him, he was a huge heap, sitting alone on a bench. I poured out my heart to him about my problems, but he didn't speak or even move. Then, after a long silence, the thing began to shake like a hideous living jelly. It reminded me of the primordial soup that all life supposedly came from. But then I realized this beast was shaking with laughter, and he was laughing at me. You want me to forgive him for that? It's no small thing to be laughed at by something lower and stronger than oneself. You make Sunday sound like a circus freak. <laughs> exactly. I'll tell you what's bizarre about him, though. Sometimes his eyes go blank, and he just forgets you're there for hours. I mean, it's cute when a nice old man does that, but when an evil man is absent-minded, it's terrifying. What if he suddenly realizes you're there, and then ups and kills you? That's what's crazy. It's like sitting in a room with a forgetful tiger. And what do you think of Sunday, Gogol? I make it a point not to think about President Sunday. <laughs> Any more than I try not to stare at the midday sun. How about you, Professor? Mm. Wake up, Professor. <laughs> Tell us what you think of Sunday. Uh, when I first saw Sunday's face, I thought that it was so big uh, that you couldn't focus on it. The eye was too far from the nose, and the mouth was just by itself. Mm. The whole thing's too hard to explain. Uh, put, put it this way. If you look at any three objects from a distance, they look like they could be next to each other. But then, when you walk closer, you see that they're all a hundred yards apart. That's how Sunday's face escapes me. Each part runs away as I approach it. <laughs> Made me doubt whether there are even any faces at all in the world, rather than just a combination of perspective. It's funny, we each can't help but compare old Sunday to the universe itself. Odd. When I think about Sunday, I think of him as I think of the whole world. Go on. When I first saw Sunday on the balcony, I only saw his back. At that instant, I knew he was the worst man in the world. In fact, I had the revolting thought that this wasn't even a man at all, but a beast dressed up in human clothes. Mm. Have no doubt about that. And then a strange thing happened. When I walked out on the balcony, I saw the other side of him, his face in the sunlight. It scared me, not because it was evil, but because it was so beautiful, so good. Are you ill? <laughs> it was like the face of some ancient archangel judging the world justly. There was a laughter in his eyes, and in his mouth, honor and sorrow. It was the same person that from behind I thought was an animal, but when I saw him from the front, I knew he was a god. Pan was a god and an animal. That's the mystery of Sunday. When I see the horrible back, I am sure the beautiful face is just a mask. But when I see the face for an instant, I know the back is only a joke. Bad is so bad that we can't help but think that good is an accident. Good is so good that we feel certain that evil could be explained. 
but the whole thing came to a point when I was running right behind him. And don't tell me you had time to think. Time enough for one disgusting vision. That the back of his head was really his face. An awful, eyeless face staring back at me. And the man running in front of me was really a monster running backwards, dancing as he ran. It was exactly the worst instant of my life. And yet five minutes later, when he stuck his head out of the cab, laughing, I knew he was only like a father playing hide-and-go-seek with his children. This is quite some game. Look! The balloon is coming down behind those trees. <gasps> He's dead. And now I know he was my friend. My friend in the dark. Dead? He won't die that easily. If he fell out of the basket, we'd find him rolling down the hill like a colt rolls in a field, kicking his legs for fun. Clashing his hooves like colts do. And Pan as well. Pan again? You seem to think Pan is everything. So he is. In Greek, Pan means everything. Don't forget it means panic as well. It fell over there. Oh, if he's cheated us all by getting killed, it would be like his one final cruel joke. I felt a new energy as I marched toward the thick hedge of trees. The others followed in a more footsore and dubious manner. And almost at the same moment, all six of us realized that we were not alone in the little field. Across the square of turf, a tall man was advancing toward us, leaning on a strange long staff like a scepter. He was clad in a fine but old-fashioned suit with knee breeches. Its color was that shade between blue, violet, and gray which can be seen in certain shadows of the woodland. His advance was very quiet. But for the silver hair upon his head, he might have been one of the shadows of the wood. Gentlemen, my master has been expecting you. And who is your master? I was told you knew his name. What is the meaning of this? All will be explained. My master has only just come home. This way. Because no better option presented itself, we followed the tall man through the thick hedge of trees and found on the other side a long, low house, mellow in the mild light of sunset. I think I know this place. Perhaps I did, as a boy. Does remind me of my youth. I think it's that elm top next to that crooked path. I climbed a tree like that every day one summer. I'm sure I've seen an orchard like that. My family kept an orchard near our house. I used to play hide-and-seek in it. I barely remember my mother, but I do remember the shape of that window. It's how I would escape outside to play. What can it all mean? Is this another lark of Sundays? I don't know, but if it is, it's one of the jokes you talk about for many years. Refreshments are provided in your rooms. This way, sir. Very well. Under the influence of the same mesmeric sleep of amazement, I climbed up the large oaken stairs after the attendant. He showed me into a splendid suite of apartments that seemed to be designed specially to my tastes. I walked up to a long mirror to straighten my tie. But there I saw the frightful figure that I had become. Blood running down my face from where the bow had struck me. My hair standing out like yellow rags of rank grass. My clothes torn into long, wavering tatters. At once, everything came back to me. How did I get here? How was I going to get out again? I've put out your clothes, sir. 
clothes. These are all I have. My master has asked me to say that there is a dress ball tonight, and that he desires you to put on this costume. Meanwhile, sir, there is some burgundy and some cobe pheasant, which he hopes you will not refuse. Thank you, but I'd rather know what all this means. What costume? The servant lifted up a full-length garment which was peacock blue, on the front of which was emblazoned a large golden sun, and which was splashed here and there with flaming stars and crescents. You're to be dressed as Thursday, sir. <laughs> well, I don't understand anything. I've gotten so used to painful adventures that nice ones knock me out. What do all these symbols mean? I've seen the sun on plenty of days besides Thursday. On the fourth day, God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and for years. That's from the Bible, sir. One has been provided for you. <laughs> Who are these people that provide cold pheasants and burgundy and green clothes and Bibles? Do they provide everything? Yes, sir. Everything. Uh, shall I help you with your costume? Sure. Throw the silly thing on. I was fully prepared to despise this straitjacket of a costume, but I felt a curious freedom of movement as the blue and gold garment fell around me. And then I discovered that I also had to wear a sword, and it stirred in me a boyish dream. As I passed out of the room, I flung the folds across my shoulder. My sword stood out at an angle, and I felt like I had all the swagger of a troubadour, for these disguises did not disguise, but reveal. Mr. Syme, you look radiant. Mr. Secretary, I've never seen you look so noble. <laughs> he was draped in a long robe of starless black, down the center of which fell a band or broad stripe of pure white, like a single shaft of light. Those look like very severe ecclesiastical vestments. You must be the first day of creation, according to these Bibles. The creation of light out of darkness. Do you think it fits me? It does. I would say that for the first time, you seem to be yourself. <laughs> One could say the same in regard to you, as well as our sole female comrade. We came upon a completely transformed Lieutenant Ratcliffe. She looked splendid in a spring green dress, patterned like a green tangle of trees, she stood for the third day, on which the earth and green things were made. Gentlemen. My lady. We were led out of another gateway into a very large old English garden, full of torches and bonfires, by the broken light of which a vast carnival of people were dancing in motley dress. As I looked around, it seemed to me that every shape in nature was imitated in some crazy costume. There was a man dressed as a windmill with enormous sails, a man dressed as an elephant, a man dressed as a balloon. The two last together seemed to keep the thread of our farcical adventures. I even saw one dancer dressed like an enormous hornbill with a beak twice as big as himself. There were a thousand other such objects, a dancing lamppost, a dancing apple tree, a dancing ship. One would have thought that the untamable tune of some mad musician had set all the common objects of field and street dancing in eternal jig. 
On one side of this lawn was a terrace where seven great chairs stood in a crescent, the thrones of the seven days. Gogol and Dr. Bull were already in their seats, the professor just mounting his. Gogol, or Tuesday, had a simple dress, grey and silver like rain, separated head to toe as the division of the waters. The professor's purple dress created a pattern signifying the birds and the fishes in a union of unfathomable fancy and doubt. Dr. Bull, the last day of creation, wore a coat covered with heraldic animals in red and gold, and on his crest a man rampant. He lay back in his chair with a broad smile, the picture of an optimist in his element. One by one, the rest of us ascended the bank and sat in our strange seats. We felt like the kings of this bizarre carnival. We must be men crowned with some extraordinary laurels, but the central chair was empty. We still don't know if he's not dead in a field. Sunday passed silently like a shadow and sat in the central seat. He was draped plainly in a pure and terrible white, and his hair was like a silver flame on his forehead. For a long time, it seemed for hours, that huge masquerade of mankind swayed and stamped in front of us. Every couple dancing seemed a separate romance. It might be a fairy dancing with a pillar box, or a peasant girl dancing with the moon. It was as absurd as Alice in Wonderland, yet as grave and kind as a love story. Then at last the crowd began to thin. Couples strolled away into the garden walks, or began to drift into groups around the flaming cauldrons that lit up the land for miles. These fires were allowed to grow fainter, and the dim groups passed, laughing and clattering into the inner passages of that ancient house. Soon there were only some ten loiterers in the garden, soon only four. Finally, the last one exited the field. The slow, strong stars came out, and the seven of us were left alone, like seven stone statues on our chairs of stone. Not one of us had spoken a word. Let's sit together a little, we who have loved each other so sadly and have fought so long. For centuries of heroic war, you were always the heroes, comrades in arms. Whether it was recently or at the beginning of the world, I sent you out to war. You heard the voice in the dark commanding courage and unnatural virtue, and you never heard it again. The sun in heaven denied it. The earth and sky denied it. All human wisdom denied it. And when I met you in the daylight, I denied it myself. Yet you did not forget your secret honor. Though the whole universe turned and fought to torture it out of you, I know how close you came to hell. I know how you, Thursday, crossed swords with King Satan, and how you, Wednesday, named me in the hour without hope. Who and what are you? I am the Sabbath, the peace of God. If you were the man in the dark room, why were you Sunday as well? An offense to the sunlight? 
If you were at first our father and friend, then why were you our greatest enemy as well? We wept, we fled in terror, the iron entered into our souls, and you are the peace of God. Ugh. I can forgive God his anger, though it destroyed nations, but I cannot forgive him his peace. And you? No. I don't share his anger. I am grateful to you. Not only for the wine and hospitality here, but for a fine adventure. However, I would still like to know. My soul and my heart are content, but my reason is still crying out. I would like to know. And you? It seems so silly that you were on both sides fighting yourself. I understand nothing, but I'm happy. In fact, I'm very sleepy. I am not happy, because I do not understand. You let me stray a little too near to hell. I wish I knew why I hurt so much. I have heard your complaints in order. And here, I believe, comes another to complain. Lucian Gregory? Why, this is the real anarchist. Yes, I am the real anarchist. I am the destroyer. I would destroy the Earth if I could. <laughs> Most pitiful man. Try to be happy. You have red hair like your beautiful sisters. My red hair, like flames, will burn up the world! I thought I hated everything more than anything, but now I know I don't hate anything as much as I hate you! I never hated you. You! You never hated because you never lived! I know what you are, all of you! You are the people of the law, and you have never been broken! You sit in your chairs of stone and never come down, the seven angels of heaven, and you have never felt pain. I don't curse you for being cruel, or even for being kind. I curse you for being safe. You've never suffered. Even for one hour, a real agony such as you I- You lie! We have been broken. We have descended from our thrones into hell. How dare you stand there and insolently accuse us of happiness? I understand now. Why does every small thing on earth have to fight against the world itself? For the same reason that I had to be alone on the dreadful Council of Days. So that the real lie of Satan could be flung back into the face of this blasphemer. No pain is too great to earn the right to say to this accuser, we too have suffered. I repel this slander. We have not been happy. I can answer for every one of these great guards of the law that sit here. Except... Well... Have you... Have you ever suffered? 
I stared into the great face of Sunday, which now wore a strange smile. As I gazed, the great face grew to an awful size, so large that I nearly screamed like a frightened child. It grew larger and larger, filling the whole sky. Then everything went black. Only in the blackness, before it entirely destroyed my brain, I seemed to hear a distant voice saying a commonplace text that I had heard somewhere. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of? When men in books awake from a vision, they commonly find themselves in some place in which they might have fallen asleep. They yawn in a chair, or lift themselves with bruised limbs from a field. My experience was something much more psychologically strange if there was indeed anything unreal, in the earthly sense, about the things I had gone through. For while I could always remember afterwards that I had swooned before the face of Sunday, I could not remember having ever come to at all. I could only remember that, gradually and naturally, I knew that I was and had been walking along a country lane with an easy and conversational companion. That companion had been a part of my recent drama. It was the redhead poet Gregory. We were walking like old friends and were in the middle of a conversation about some triviality. But I could only feel an unnatural buoyancy in my body and a crystal simplicity in my mind that seemed to be superior to everything that I said or did. I felt like I was in possession of some impossible good news which made every other thing a triviality, but an adorable triviality. Dawn was breaking over everything in colors at once clear and timid, as if nature made a first attempt at yellow and a first attempt at rose. A breeze blew so clean and sweet that one could not think that it blew from the sky. It blew rather through some hole in the sky. I felt a simple surprise when I saw rising all round me on both sides of the road the red irregular buildings of Saffron Park. I had no idea that I had walked so near London. I walked by instinct along one white road and found myself outside a fenced garden. There I saw Rosamond with the gold-red hair cutting lilac before breakfast, laughing with the great unconscious gravity of a girl. The Man Who Was Thursday was written and directed by Andrew Walquist, based on the novel by G.K. Chesterton, featuring performances by Jacob Sidney as Gabriel Syme, Peter Macon as President Sunday and The Chief, Eric Curtis Johnson as Lucian Gregory, Mark Bramhall as The Secretary and Dr. Renard, Gregory Gifford Giles as Gogol and Colonel De Croix, Lisa Volpe as The Marquis de Saint Eustache, William Dennis Hunt as Professor de Worms, Stephen Allen Carver as Dr. Bull, Lana Joy as Rosamond, with additional voices by Rob Fox. Our casting director is Lana Joy Walquist. Ananda Dillon was our associate producer. 
with audio engineering by David Stanton, Benjamin Stanton, and Jeremy Bergen. Special thanks to those who helped us along the way, including the American Chesterton Society, Legacy Church of Downey, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, Los Angeles Times, and Downey Arts Coalition. Special shout-outs to Claudia Alec, Deborah Murphy, Jonathan Wilson, and my loving family who carried me through. Originally recorded in cooperation with the American Federation of Television and Radio Actors. Thanks also to freesound.org, where you can find many of the open source sound effects that brought this story to life. A full list of attributions can be found on our website, www.manwhoisthursday.com. While you're there, if you enjoyed this program, consider chipping in a few dollars to our virtual tip jar. This project was created entirely by volunteers, and we'd love to do it again. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation of G.K. Chesterton's The Man Who Was Thursday, A Nightmare. I'm Andrew Walquist, and I bid you good night. Thank you.